Well, welcome everybody this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says this. And it, came to, <laughs> and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Creus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And thank you that we may receive revelation for our own personal lives out of this today. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's so many things in this passage to talk about. And I always struggle at Christmas because when you read the Christmas passages, we just want to stick to just the Christmas story. But there's so much that goes on in all these passages. And so, you know, the first thing that jumps out to me in this simple passage is just God working with ordinary people. And I love that because, you know, we're a good group of ordinary people here. <laughs> and so God has the ability, though, to make people extraordinary, right? Here we see that, God working with ordinary people, Mary and Joseph, to bring forth the greatest gift that ever hit the planet. That was Jesus Christ, our Savior, that saved all of us sitting here today. Everybody saved in the past, everybody saved in the future, using ordinary people upon this earth. And I just think that's so great, because us ordinary people, we can, if we believe in God and have faith in his ability and that nothing is impossible for God, we can do amazing things as ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. The next thing that I see in this verse is how people had no idea that something great was happening right before their eyes. I read this verse, and here we see Mary and Joseph on their way to pay tax, and here we see a child born, and there was no room in the inn, and was laid in a manger, and all around them is a bunch of ordinary people. Other than Mary and Joseph, there was nobody around them that realized that such a great event was taking place right before their eyes. And how that speaks to me is I go through life and I have different seasons in life. And there's lots of times in life where, where I just feel like nothing great's going on. I look around and I'm struggling with problems or situations and, or I can't see the breakthroughs that I want or problems are piling up or things happen in life that don't go quite right. And I have a tendency to want to like get up tight about the scenario. And, I, and, and you, we all have to struggle to not get in a bad mood over the situation. But with God, we should never be thrust into those situations with our own emotions. Our emotions are just temporal. And so we often see things through how we're feeling for the moment, but we need to remind ourselves that we should be aware because something great could be happening right before our eyes that we don't even know it. Sometimes there's greatness that happens right in the middle of the storm. They were off paying taxes. Nobody wanted to go pay taxes. Yet in the middle of paying taxes, something great was happening right in the middle of that. There was no room in the inn. They had to be born in, you know, outside and lay the baby in a manger. That's not cool. If that was me, I'd be like, God, what's exactly what's going on? You know, oh yeah, son of God, I'm laying him in a manger. Did you forget about us? Right? Mary, you sure you saw the angel? Right? That's our human nature, yet greatness was happening 
right before their very eyes. And it speaks to me to say, quit looking at the storm. Quit looking at the trials in life. Look for God in the middle of the situation. Because sometimes it's in the middle of that situation that greatness is happening. And oftentimes I think that we can overlook it because we're too busy looking at the waves and not looking at the power of God that can calm the storm. Right? So things happening right before their eyes in the least likely spot. Another thing out of that scripture that speaks to me and, 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 and gets me is the frailty of Christ. Like you think about this, he was laying in a manger, like frail, like a little baby who they had to put clothes on or he was going to get cold and he was going to shiver and they had to protect him. This little baby that when he was picked up, his head didn't have any strength. She had to hold his head. And I look at this, and I'm just wowed by the fact that God, in his wisdom, was able to put the Son of God into humanity as frail as he was as a baby. Mary had to teach him to walk. Mary had to teach him how not to poop his pants, really. And it sounds unholy, but that's the facts. It was God's intention to bring him into humanity so that he could overcome the sin of humanity. He was just a baby. He had his, needed his head to be held. Yet, nothing could stop him from his call. Nothing. Nothing. God in his wisdom had initiated something that had a conclusion to it. And so when we combine those two things together of like looking for greatness in a storm and then understanding that what God has started in you, he will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. It's like, this is how we need to live our lives. Yes, we're frail. Yes, we don't have what it takes in our own personal selves to accomplish everything God wants us to. We need to grow. We need to mature. We're not everything that we're supposed to be today, but God will take us from today to tomorrow. And God will take us from tomorrow into next week. And God will take us from next week into next month and the next year. God, what he has started in us, will complete it. And our faith ought not to be in how screwed up we are, right? How frail, especially us, we are to the world and its elements. Our faith needs to be in a God that's bigger than all of that, bigger than every single thing that we face. Nothing was going to stop him from his call. And I just think about God's providence over our lives, even in hard times. You know, and I've shared this before. You know, one of the things that the enemy likes to use is guilt and the things that we mess up in. And he'll point to something you've done wrong to say that you can't accomplish your future. And so this is what he rides people with. It's just guilt and shame and all these things and, and you know, making you feel unworthy. But what I love about the fact that God, that he stands outside of time and he knows the beginning from the end and there is no beginning and end with God. He is the beginning and the end. That he sees the end from the beginning. That when he first called me, he saw my ending. And so when I got called and I became born again and I remember what it felt like and the love of God and his plan for my life and that nothing could stop me. That's what I felt like in that moment. But then life happened, and there was some stuff that all of a sudden started to tell me, yes, there's things that could stop you. That you know what? That you ain't so tough, and all this stuff, and stuff happens in life, and you're not perfect. And, and so the enemy starts to ride you with that shame. But the fact is, God saw here before he spoke to me here. And so he saw all this along the way and still spoke to me in the same manner, seeing everything that was to come. 
I love that about the providence of God, is that he saw all your screw-ups and still said, walk with me, I'm going to do amazing things with you. Right? That's so cool. It's a chess match that went on that God already played it ahead of the game. You know? It's so cool. And so God has providence over our lives, even in the hard times. Now the things I see in this scripture is that there was no room in the inn. You notice it didn't say they didn't have money to pay for the inn? But a lot of people will tell you that's the reason they weren't in the inn. It's because they couldn't afford the inn. And you know, in the old cartoons, show them that they have big holes in their clothes and you know that they couldn't afford anything. And, and no, they weren't the richest family on the block, but they were because Christ was in them. And so they did have money for the inn. It just says there was no room at the end. That's difference. It was busy. Everybody was there paying taxes. It was sold out. No vacancy. And so it says that Jesus was born in a manger. Again, tradition wants you to believe that's the only thing they could afford when that wasn't the case at all. Now, we tend to fall into tradition quite a bit. And like I said, one of these things, no room in the inn. It's not that they couldn't afford it, but there's lots of other tradition, even around Christmas that we fall into. And I've shared this in the past, but it, as every Christmas season comes and I see things about Christ or, or you, you look at the old stories that you might see in some of the old books, and the one thing that you always see is that you see three kings standing around Jesus at the manger. And so first of all, the three kings weren't there. Tradition. There were three magi that were there. And a fact of the matter is, we don't know if there was three magi or not. History will tell us that there could have been up to 30 of them. Now, the reason we think there's three magi is because the Bible says they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It references three gifts, but not three magi. And like I said, history will tell us there could have been up to 30 magi there, all bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, if they didn't have money for the inn before, which they did... 30 people bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Christ couldn't even talk yet, and he already had a bank account. Right? So three gifts, not people. Another thing, we see it around the mangers, the three magi there. Well, that didn't really happen until about two years later either. So as much as I do love a nativity scene because it references so many things in the Christmas story, it's not perfectly accurate. He could have been up to two years old. But we see it all through the Bible. I'll give you another one. What fruit did Eve eat in the garden? Everybody wants to say uh, apple. doesn't say what fruit. We assume it's the apple because of cartoons or whatever it may be. But it doesn't tell us what fruit she ate in the garden. So we have to watch. The tradition doesn't take a hold of us. Because sometimes we just go through life based on tradition. And the Bible says that the tradition of men will make the word of God of no effect. So we got to make sure that we know. And so if we think it was just this beat up old family that couldn't even afford room in the inn and hardly could put clothes on their child's back, that wasn't the plan of God. It was God that made the Garden of Eden that was lush, full of prosperity. And yes, Jesus was to drop in a fallen, beat up, poor world but he was dropped in there to redeem it from the fall and from sin. So another reason why we need to be careful of tradition 
is the reason why we see this nativity scene. Why did Jesus come? A lot of times you'll ask people about Christmas, it's about the birth of Christ. Sure it is, but why did Christ come? And it's all wrapped up in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 that says this. And this is what we have to make sure we, we celebrate and think about at Christmas. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Yeah, it's cool, and yeah, it's presents, and yeah, it's all that. And yeah, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but the birth of Christ, he came to save sinners. And so Christmas is a celebration to me, just like Easter is, that thank God I have Jesus because I'm a mess. And without him, I am nothing. But with him, thank God he redeemed me. And so he came into this world for one reason, is to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. And that's why I want to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas this morning. Now, I'm not one of these guys that doesn't, obviously doesn't like trees and presents. And we have Santa on the wagons and, and, and stuff. And, and I'm even getting a little more lax about things in that area. I used to be a little bit too uptight about that stuff. But as long as we keep the reason for the season, and that is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, sent to the earth to save sinners. That's why. That's why. That's why when when people walk across this property and they just experience a bit of love and maybe want to come back or maybe put their children into camp. They are not thinking, I'm putting my child into camp because he's a sinner. Oh, some of them might actually, after watching a few of those kids. Some of them might. (laughs) But that's my goal. That's our goal as Christians to be able to do that. And so I'm not one of those guys that gets uptight about all the gifts and stuff, but I want to remain that Christ is the reason for the season, that God came into this world to save sinners. To save sinners is an interesting thing, and I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but I just want to remind us this morning of what Christmas is all about, to save sinners. So when I ask the question, who is a sinner, most people will respond, those who sin, right? Who's a sinner? Those who sin. But that's not really the biblical definition of a sinner. A sinner is defined in Romans chapter 5, 19 is this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience will be made righteous. Now let's look at the first part of that. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. And so what is a sinner? Somebody who's born on the earth. That's it. Now, they're not born as sinners, but the moment the law hits them, they don't have a choice. There's only one that made it through this earth without sinning, and that's Christ. They are born not as a sinner, but the moment they know right from wrong, they are judged by the law on anything. It's like, don't take that. And they do, and they look at you like they know what they're doing wrong. It's over. They have to be saved, right? And so, now we know, and I don't want to get people, to, we know that there is that season of grace before that. That's why babies are in, are in heaven. But when they come to that conclusion of, I am willfully disobeying, not just out of repetition or just human nature, but out of willful disobedience, they need Jesus, right? Like all of us do. And so sinners aren't just people that sin. Sinners are just people that are born into this world. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. And you are made a sinner 
You don't become one. So Adam, the Bible says, had disobedience. Because of one man's disobedience, you were made a sinner. So we can all go, thanks a lot, Adam. Now, it was unavoidable as well because the plan of God was in motion. But we can all go, thanks, Adam. You messed with me. So a sinner, nobody's free of this. And that's what I think the church sometimes represents. When we just say sinners are people that do bad things, then that's why the church looks religious, right? Sinners are just, you're made. You're born in this fallen world. You don't have a choice. You're going to succumb to temptation, period. And so you're born in this world. You will, you've already been made a sinner. You're done. So sinners are just people that are born. So then who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Those who act righteously? No, in the same way that you couldn't escape sinning, when you come to Christ, you can't escape righteousness. You can't. And that's why we celebrate so much. So in that same sentence, can you bring that back up, D? For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, not earn or become righteous. Now we can act righteously, but our righteousness is a gift from God. You are made. Jesus is Lord. Bam! You are made righteous. Right there in the eyes of the Father. You have now come through Christ. You have now been declared justified. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins have been removed from us. Your sins and your lawless deeds, he will remember no more. He made you that way. And when you now say, sorry God, I'm a sinner, he says, no! Do not mess with my work. My work's perfect. And I made you righteous. Now we can sin and act like a bunch of unrighteous people and act like a bunch of sinners, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is so awesome. That's what Christmas is about. So sinners are made, and so are the righteous. You're born again, you're made righteous, apart from the law. Romans 3, 19 to 22 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. That's what I mean about becoming a sinner. You're just stopped. When you're under the law, the moment you know right or wrong, it's like you're stopped. And that's what Jesus was doing everywhere. That's why we really have to analyze the ministry of Christ, what he's doing at the time. A lot of times he's bringing the law. It's not so that we will be able to adhere to it. It's to show everybody that they fall short. And he keeps upping his ante. And especially with the Pharisees, he just hammers them. That's why he's all, the only time you see him mad is with the Pharisees. He's like, oh yeah, you're that good, are you? You're that good, are you? And he just starts poking them and poking them and poking them until they look absolutely hideous and they look guilty. And his example is they do and they want to kill him for it. But his example is pushing them. Why? Because he's pushing them to a point where they go, I can't. And he goes, right. Get out of your pharmaceutical issues and come to me. I'll save you. That's what it's all about. And so 319 says to those who are under law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the reason for the law. Not so that you can adhere to it and become really good. It's so that you become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight by doing works. For the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, even his very own righteousness. Through faith in Jesus Christ, to all 
and on all who believe for there is no difference. So not even a different type of righteous where you've now become righteous to our own standard. The very righteousness of God, when he sees you, he looks at you as, I was gonna say as if you're as righteous. No, he looks at you because you are as righteous as Christ. You may not always act like it, but you are. Right? That's what we get our power from. Saying, God, thank you, I'm righteous. And then the power begins to move in that direction. Because if you think you're a sinner, you're going to act like one. But when you know you're the righteous, you begin to want. You begin to desire and be empowered to act righteously. Now, we all fall. We know that. We all mess up stupidly. But that's the falling point is because we get in these things rather than just submitting and just laying everything before God. So, who are the righteous? Those who are born again, and it's apart from the law. And then Paul goes on to say, I am chief. Why did Paul say that he was the chief of sinners? Now, Paul chased Christians, for sure. He chased Christians, he hunted them down, he went into their homes, he dragged them out, he put them on trial, and he ordered them, even in the case of Stephen, to be stoned. Stephen's clothes were at the feet of the apostle Paul, who was Saul. So he ordered Christians to death. And so is that why he's chief of all sinners? Because he ordered Christians to death, even Stephen? Responsible for all these deaths? Is that why Paul called himself a chief? No, it's not why. Paul called himself a chief of sinners. you got to realize, he was calling himself worse than murderers and rapists. He was saying, I'm worse than them. I'm the chief. And when you look at his life, you wouldn't think he's the chief. He was trying so hard for God, even though he was chasing down Christians, it was messing up. But that was the reason why he was a chief of sinners. He did it in self-righteousness. That's why. And that's why I always have to take stock of my life. He did it in self-righteousness, thinking he was serving God. And that's what we have to be so careful of when we walk through pious in life because of who we are and point the fingers at everybody else and criticize everybody else because we think we're so high and mighty in Christ. That's what being a chief is. That's the worst. When Christ came, who deserved. Like you think about the time when he said he was without sin, cast the first stone. Did you know he was the only one there who had a right to pick that stone up and kill her with it? He was the only one there without sin. And yet he chose grace and mercy, forgave her. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You notice he never said, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. That's what being self-righteous is. It says, go and sin no more, and I won't condemn you, or God won't condemn you anymore. But Jesus says, first, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I will make you righteous. I will empower you. I'm not going to just send you out there to be good and then you can come back to me and see if you earn enough points. No. Now I choose mercy. Now I choose grace. Now I empower you. Now go out and live in my power. Isn't that so cool? So he did it in self-righteousness. That's what Paul was talking about being a chief. So the larger the list you have, or the larger the list that I have, of why I think I'm right with God, the farther I am away from God. That's bizarre, isn't it? But that's the kingdom. You give, you get, right? The kingdom works so differently than everything else. It's opposite to the world's way of doing things. And so is this. The larger the list that we have of why we are right with God, the farther we are from him, if we're being legal about it. 
Because I don't want to be right with God based on anything I do. Because then he comes back and he'll just pull it apart. I don't want to ever stand before God and be like, well, I deserve this. And he'll be like, do I need to remind you? Would you like to see a few snippets of your life and tell me if you truly deserve this? <laughs> right? I'm still there every week. I don't, want to, I don't want him to reveal yesterday what a jerk I was. Never mind. For the last 20 years, the larger the list we have of why we think we're right, the further we're off the mark. Now I'm going to read nine verses in the, the message translation of Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to end with this. It's like the coolest read. Sometimes I like the way the Message Bible puts things to people that don't always get it, like myself. And that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't mind repeating what I have written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. Better safe than sorry, so here it goes. Steer clear of barking dogs. Those religious busybodies all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearance. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. <laughs> Talking about the law. The, re- <laughs> the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do. We could carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it. Even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials, you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Merry Christmas. Right? Merry Christmas. When you get up Christmas morning and you say Merry Christmas, you can just strut around the living room. Not because of anything you did. Right? Just praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Why you got your chin up? Oh, because he lifted it up. Because he lifted it up. Why are you walking so full of of faith and so full of confidence? Because he gave it to me. Because he gave it to me. No need to be somber. He's so good. He's so good. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we praise you. Like the scripture says, we fill the air with Christ's praise. We praise you, Jesus.
And we turn in all of our old credentials. We turn in everything we've done, good and bad. Father, we count it all as trash. All is trash. Help us, Lord Jesus, to not continue to try to earn our way to you. But may we walk in the praise of Christ, empowered by your spirit. We don't want some second-rate righteousness. We receive the righteousness of God. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, God. You made us white as snow. Thank you, God, that we can walk into eternity belonging to you, forgiven by you. Amen.